Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Philly on Twitter, joined, as always, by Crossing Broad Phillies writer Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad. And holy smokes, a lot has happened with this Phillies team since we last talked last week. We're recording uh, on Monday night, off night for the Phillies, so we get to do it nice and early. So maybe uh, Bob and I will be a little bit more uh, animated than we are usually at midnight following a game. Um, But, uh, boy, Phillies coming off a sweep of the Pirates at home um, after dropping two and three in Atlanta, which was the last time we talked. They're 14-7. and seven. They're a half game out of first place uh, behind the Mets. They currently are the national one of the National League wildcard teams. Uh, we were a little bit optimistic about them coming into the year, Bob, but I don't think either of us saw them being seven games over 500 at this point into the season. Yeah, I didn't see him ripping off, uh, what, 13 out of 16, 9-1 uh, start at home. I mean, it's been uh, a heck of a rebound. We we talked about this team getting off to a bad start this season, a nightmarish type of start, and they've really flipped the script here uh, over the last couple weeks, and now it's it's been a tremendous start. This is one of the better starts uh, that they've had in, in recent franchise history. I wrote a story today on the website that the uh, 2001 Phillies and the 1995 Phillies uh, both reached 14 wins faster uh, than this current team and missed the playoffs, uh, but the 2011 Phillies, 93 Phillies also did it uh, more quickly as well. Those are the only four teams in the last 25 years that have gotten to the 14-win mark faster than the 2018 Phillies, and so it's been an impressive start. Uh, I, I certainly did not see this coming, especially after what we watched the first uh, you know, week to 10 days of the season. But here we are. Things are rolling, and uh, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I guess, Anthony, my question to you would be, how optimistic should we be? Is this start for real? Well, is it for real? Yeah. I mean, it's for real. I mean, it happened, right? It's 14, they're 14 and 7. This is legit. So nothing will change the outcome of those first 21 games. What if I tell you, and, and this is the thing that, that people kind of responded to me about on Twitter. I said, you know, the, the Phillies are a problem in the NL East. And everyone's like, yeah, you know, hold, hold up a little bit. You know, they beat the Marlins. They beat the Reds. We yeah. know that the Pirates were 12 and 6 before the weekend. But they stink. They're overachieving. They haven't beaten anybody. And what do you think about that? What do you make well, of that? Well, I. I, I do put a little bit of stock into that. I mean, they, you know, the Phillies have done what good teams are supposed to do. They beat up on bad teams, right? And the only team that they've really, I mean, you know, let's not count the two games against the Mets. It was first week of the season. The weather was brutal, right? It was terrible up there. But it, they've struggled a little bit with Atlanta, who is, in a lot of ways is a lot like the Phillies, a, a young up-and-coming team that's actually not too far behind the Phillies in the standings. Um, so I mean, that's the one team that they've struggled with a little bit. Um, but they've, for the most part, beaten up on teams that they should beat up on. And that's good for them. That's really good for them. And you know, before we started recording, we talked, and you know, you pointed out that 
If they go 500 the rest of the way, or even one game under 500, because they have an odd number of games left. Yeah, 141 games, so yeah. 70 and 71, let's say. Yeah, yeah, that They still get to 84 wins, which is right in the middle of the wild card race. So we have a team here that very likely is going to be in this thing this year. I mean, and we said this, if you recall back at the beginning, I mean, you know, we gave our preseason predictions. I was at 85, you were at 83, but both of us said that's right in the contention for that second wild card. Um, I think that that's still a legitimate spot. I mean, if we're if you're saying okay, so they had an easy schedule the beginning part of the season, they're gonna, it's going to get tougher, and it does. May gets really tough when you really look at, at who they're they have to match up with. Um, but if they can if they can just play 500 ball, they're in the in the mix, and they're doing all this, Bob, without. Hitting the ball, and, and you know, they were supposed to have one of the top lineups. Right? Everybody talked about, oh, watch this Phillies lineup. They're going to hit. They're going to hit. They're going to hit. You take away. I mean, I, I give you Cesar Hernandez, Reese Hoskins, Odubel Herrera. No one else is hitting. No one is hitting in this team. We had a cl- couple clutch hits by Kingery, but he's down to two twenty nine now. Um, no Nick one Williams, else. Two seventeen. Andrew yeah. Knapp, two sixteen. Jorge Alfaro can't even make contact. I mean, Crawford's yeah. under two hundred. Altair. I mean, the list goes on and on. And these are guys that you thought were going to give them legitimate offensive output this year, and they've done nothing. And, and here they are, seven games over. Which. Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, because I think we're going to talk about this more in depth in a little bit, but the starting pitching's obviously been outstanding. It's really, yeah. it's been the best starting staff in, in the National League, really, through the first four weeks of the season, and uh, I didn't think that we would be, that we would be saying that. Now, it, it's kind of interesting. I, the reason why, and you heard me rattle off a couple seconds ago, you know, the 01 Phillies, the 2011 Phillies, the 93 Phillies, I kind of just wanted to see what, what a strong start at this point, you know, a comparable start would mean for a team. And the one thing that was very sobering for me was the 95 Phillies, right? So I mentioned that they got to 14 wins in their first 19 games. Yep. They actually get to 24 and 10 that season. And I Greg, was like 10 years old. When Greg Jeffries was yeah, on Jeffries, fire. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I remember like a game like against like Hideo Nomo, like, yeah. like at the vet, like in the middle of the season, it was either 95 or 96 and they just blew the doors off of them. And, you know, the Phillies were playing really well at the beginning of the 95 season and then they end up going uh 69 and 75 it was uh, i guess they started the season late because of the strike after 94 that that's my assumption that's there. correct they did start you know, the season and, late. i mean so they just completely went off the rails as the season progressed and so that was like the sobering season but you know you look at it and and like you said they're in a spot now where i think that i had said before the season started on opening day i wrote a piece that basically just said a strong start was so important for a young team with all these expectations to kind of be able to prove to themselves that they could do this and it's it's interesting we talked a little bit uh before we got on air tonight about the computer models and so today was the day you know kind of to take a breather and assess where the phillies are or you know what the phillies have done thus far and and kind of where this thing's heading and so you saw a couple different tweets and stories out there about computer projections and and let me just read you the different projections and you know you can just kind of tell me where where you fall in with this so okay uh, Pakoda, right? Uh, a big, uh, you know, sabermetric uh, indicator of team performance based on individual performance, really. Uh, expects the Phillies to win the National League East, actually, by a, a roughly six-tenths of a game more than the Nationals. They expect the Phillies to win with 86 games, uh, to win 86 games and win the NL East. Fangraph's a little bit more conservative, has the Phillies finishing in third with 80 wins, which which I think would be a disappointment after this start. Uh, that means they, they what? They, they 
go the rest of the season about eight games under 500. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. foresee that. Baseball Prospectus has the Phillies 51% likely to reach the playoffs, 36.6% chance to win the division, which is actually ahead of the Nationals at 30.9%, and the Mets at 24.9%. And they don't think a whole ton of the Braves, despite their good start, because they're down there at 7.5%. I mean, so where do you weigh in on this? I mean, should we be starting to think, like, you know, not only is this a possibility, but we should expect this? So my thoughts, Bob, on computer models in general, just in general, in any sport, where they give you percent chance of this happening, percent chance of this happening, blah, 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 blah. They really can't give you an accurate measure of anything other than what's already happened. Okay, so so the modeling is being based off of past information. It cannot it cannot gauge future information. Right. So to sit there and, and, and if you use a computer model and using the past information, like a guy like Carlos Santana would be a 157 hitter the rest of the year. OK, that's we know that's not going to happen. That computer, that same computer model will tell you that um, yeah, that uh, Vince Velazquez all of a sudden now that he has a change up is going to continue striking out 10 batters per game he's going to keep bringing his ERA down and he's going to be like a, a, a stud starter I don't think that's going to happen either right so there's going to be regression from pitching and there's going to be improvement from hitting but how does that equate and we don't you don't know you also don't know based on you know you look at a team like the Nationals and you look at teams like the Dodgers and the Cubs who are teams that you know for a fact barring you know catastrophic injuries are going to be there in the end and they got off to really slow starts so the computer's looking at it and saying well maybe this game you know the Phillies are 14 and 7 and the Dodgers are you know whatever they are they're oh if they play the Dodgers Phillies probably win more often than not I don't necessarily know if that's the case either. So I'm, I'm one of the people who say, let's remain optimistic about this team. Let's remain optimistic about the Phillies and be excited for the Phillies and what they're doing. But let's also keep in the back of our minds that they have not really played tough teams yet. And let's wait until the schedule gets really tight and you got to roll one series into another into another against tough opponents and see if they, see if they hold up. Um, and I that's think we're a, see that's that, the one thing. We're, we're going to see that tomorrow night. I mean, the Arizona Diamondbacks come to town, right? What are they, 15-6 and six right yeah. now? You know, yeah. They lead the NL West. They're one of the best teams in, in all of the National League. Uh, they can hit. You know, Zach Granke coming off a very good start. I believe he only allowed one run over seven innings his last start. And that team, you know, Robbie Ray, they, they've have, they have talent on that team. And they come in here, and, and I think we're going to learn something this week about the Phillies, right? I mean, th- this is, I think, one of those ones where if they take two out of three or they continue to play hot, you know, through this this week against this particular team, the way they're going right now, uh, I think that maybe at that point, that's I'm going to get very excited. I'm I'm pleased right now. I'm cautiously optimistic. They come out and they play a good series here, and they you know find themselves at 16 and eight or you know, 17 and seven by the end of this week, and uh, you know all of a sudden I'm I'm going to have a hard time restraining myself. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm, I'm starting to believe in it a little bit. Um, Good for you. Yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of there. I, I, ever since I got involved with Crossing Broad, I mean, I'm the most negative person. I'm, I'm a very pessimistic person by nature. I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And, uh, you know, they start writing here in September. The Eagles go 13-3, and win the Super Bowl. The Sixers are riding high. I mean, the Flyers are the, are the Flyers, whatever. Uh, <laughs> we'll, let, we'll, we'll leave that to other podcasts uh, in the Crossing Broad Network. But, you know, uh, things have been going well, and this, is, this has been a great start. Now, let me just kind of 
to finish the point on on expectations, one of my positions that I would I would submit to you is that if this team plays competitive baseball into the middle of the summer and we get to the third, fourth week of July, and these guys are you know hovering between five hundred, five, six, seven games over five hundred. Aren't they positioned? I mean, th- tell me I'm nuts here, but aren't they positioned to go out with their their financial resources in a league that sees more and more teams positioning themselves to just say, you know what, we'll play for next year. Let's let's build our farm systems. More and more teams are. I don't want to use the word tanking, but maybe not. Oh, but they are not as aggressively <laughs> pursuing the postseason with mediocre clubs uh, as as that it once was or as they once were. You know, Correct. in terms of the volume of teams. Is this team not positioned to go out and add a significant piece if, if it's available to maybe push them over the top? And that's the thing that excites me. You know, this start to me it, at least puts that in play. Yeah, I, I think I think that you're spot on with that. Um, uh, the thing that uh, that I don't want to do though is I think that this this Phillies team still is young and, and they're exciting and they're fun and they're they're going to make for a good summer for us. But we can't lose sight of the fact that sometimes, you know, young teams they go through lulls, they go through stretches where they can't figure it out, and they gotta they gotta battle through it. Um, and then, you know, do you want to give up on too much of your future? Too much? I mean, because you know, guys, if you want to go out and trade for that piece that you need, it's going to cost you a lot of times. Do you want to give that up this year? Like to me, I almost want to say, let's see what they do with what they have. If you want to add, if you want to do like they did in two thousand seven, I think it was when they is that when they added Jamie? They added Jamie Moyer at the trade deadline that yeah. year, and like so, if you want to add guys like a a veteran who's cheap, who you can bring in to kind of bolster the the lineup a little bit, or bolster the bullpen, or whatever the case might be, whatever you feel your need is. I'm okay with that as long as it's not costing you much in the way of future talent. But I would not go out and try and get a big-name player at the deadline and trade two or three or four big-time prospects to go get that player for this season. I'd rather them try and win with what they had this season, knowing they have the money to spend in the offseason, knowing they can make a pursuit on on the big-name players next year. They could be players for um, uh, for Machado or Bryce Harper or any number of these big-name players are going to be available. Uh, I'm cool with that and then going to next season with the expectation of, hey, this, team's, this team can win a championship, as opposed to let's lose a little bit here like I want, I want this to be sustained. I don't want it to be just we got too good, too good, too quick, and then we gave up too much, and now we're back to mediocrity again. And and sitting here right now in, in the you know the end of April, uh, I agree with that. That sounds that all sounds very fine and well. But uh, there is part of me that wonders when we get to the end of July, if the Phillies are twelve games above five hundred and they're holding a three four game lead in the NL East. I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but. There is part of me that says, well, maybe I don't know that I'll feel like that once once that situation rolls around. And I kind of let my imagination get carried away with me a little bit. But, you know, that, that's to me, though, that's all kind of part of the fun. And I'm just I'm at least excited that that we're having conversations about this team being competitive. And I think that that's enough for me. I say that now. Once we get to July, I wonder if I'm going to still be saying that or if I'm going to say go for it, you know, do it. Well, <laughs> I think I think it's I think it's very comparable to the Sixers. In a lot of ways. I mean, so let's, if you look at, I mean, the Eagles kind of came out of nowhere, right? I mean, nobody, 
everybody was excited for the Eagles with Wentz and you know being the quarterback and da da da. But I I didn't think anybody looked at the Eagles and said, eh, this is a Super Bowl team this no, year. Right? Like I, nobody I, really I thought that. It, I think it, the Denver game, you know, when they came in with their elite defense and the Eagles blew them out of the building. I think that that was when I said, okay, you know, maybe maybe we can talk ourselves into this a little bit. But right, yeah, I, I mean, I, that's still I, halfway through the season, sure. Right, I, th- I think it took a little, you know, they kind of surprised everybody. And, and the Sixers, everybody knew they were going to be better, but nobody thought they were going to be this good, right, and and this quick. So I, I kind of look at the Sixers and the Phillies on the same plane, that, you know, they you knew what was coming. You knew they have young talent. You know it's going to be good for the next several years. This year might not be that year, but you're going to, you're going to enjoy them. They'll be fun to watch. You'll enjoy them. And now all of a sudden, here we have the Sixers up three-one in the first round on Miami. You look at what's going on in the rest of the in the rest of the playoffs, and you sit there and say, "Damn, this team can make the run." I mean, they they can actually go to the finals because everything's kind of falling into place for them. Um, but could you imagine if they went at the trade deadline and and traded some young players to get something that they needed, you know, they felt they needed, and then it didn't work, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Well, why did we give up those young players?" Like, you know, if you had a trade, I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to speculate yeah, on anything, I, right? Yeah, I but, I mean, so, but, but the fact is, is that, so do you want to, if you're the Phillies, do you want to look at it and say, I mean, who are the first people that everybody's going to ask for? Who's the first name people are going to ask for if you want a big-name player at the trade deadline? I, I mean, on the current roster right now? No, 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 no. If you're, if you're going prospect route, if, uh, if, team, if team wants to trade you a, 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 a star Sanchez. player. I mean, it's, right. it'll, it'll right. work to Sixto Sanchez, yeah, sure. Are, are, you, are you ready? Are you going to sit there and say if the Phillies are, you know, battling for first place, all right, yeah, let's give up on Sixto Sanchez to land this guy who could help us win? No, not I, unless it's a, no. a bona fide all-star that's under control for, you know, three, right. four years, but I don't think that situation is going to present itself either. No, so. I, yeah, so that's, what I'm, that's, so that's what I'm saying. Like, so you got to be careful. I mean, you know who everybody wants from your organization. That's so, and you know that that's who they're going to come after. And I don't think I think you have to be judicious about it. You have to be smart about it. So, the one thing I and, and this is here. I'm going to make an, an now. I've already compared them to the Eagles and Sixers. Let me compare them to the Flyers. Since we'll go full bore here. Um, so the, the Flyers, to me, were a mediocre team this year. And I cover them. I'm down there all the time, right? So they were a mediocre team. They, they did what they had to do to get into the playoffs, um, but it took till the very last game of the season. And they drew a matchup in the first round that they had no, no prayer of winning. And I, you know, we talked about that on the Snow to Goalie podcast. I picked the Penguins in six, and I kind of felt like I was being generous to the Flyers, making it a six-game series. It turned out to be that's what it was. But everybody in this city got fired. That, that are Flyers fans got fired up that they didn't win this series. They want to fire the coach. They want to trade the captain. They want to rip the C off his sweater. They want to get rid of this guy. Get rid of that guy. And I'm sitting there saying, this team was not ever expected to be here. Like, what? Just take what you got, you know, and and be happy with it. There was some actual growth this year with the team. And now let's look at the. This will be an important offseason. We'll see what they look like next year. I think the Phillies are kind of the same thing. We can't let expectations ramp up beyond what we think they should be to a point where they're they're un, you know we're going to sit here and say, "Oh, well, now that they're, you know, seven games over 500, they're going to be pushing for the division all year and then if they don't make the playoffs, oh, this was a disappointment." Well, no, it's it shouldn't be. But at the a good season after what we've had the last 5 years, if they're competitive and they're in it right up until the end, even if you get let down a little bit, you sit there and say, well, we got a lot of young talent. This team's going to be good for the next five, six, seven years. That's that's what you should be excited about. 
I do think that most people are going to look at it that way. I mean, I think in the, the heat of the moment, and I think that's what you're seeing with the Flyers right now. People are pissed off. They're disappointed. It's a, you know, it's their rival. It's their arch nemesis. And they were handled. You know, I mean, the Flyers had a nice win there on Friday night and all the credit and all that to them. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they, they got wrecked in their building, what, three times in that series? And, yeah, uh, you know, I think that, that that rubs people the wrong way, right? And and so I think, though, when they step back from it, you know, two weeks, three weeks down the line, and I, if Flyers fans are one thing, they are certainly a resilient bunch. I'm sure that next March, next April, they'll be, you know, ready to rock the Kate Smith and all that other nonsense that they do, uh, you know. And, and that's all fine and well. And I, th- I think that people will be able to step away from it and appreciate the Flyers for what they were this year. Obviously, there are some issues there, and they're going to have to do things differently moving forward. But you said it. I mean, it was a good season for them. And when you consider what the expectations were, I think that people are upset right now. But I do think ultimately they'll, they'll kind of look at it and say this was successful overall. Now, with, with the Phillies, I think that people will do the same thing. I think that it's, it's kind of fun to get carried away, though. It's kind of fun to imagine the possibilities. And if there's a deal out there that makes sense that, that – you know, works for this team both in the short and long term. It's at least fun that we're talking after 21 games of baseball about the remote possibility of it, not the manager's a complete moron. This is a disaster. We were duped, you know, and it it felt (laughs) like that that's where it was kind of heading. And I'm sure that we will uh, get back to that point in a second. Um, Let me just ask you this. We talked a little bit earlier about regression, right? And, you know, expecting the starting pitching staff to maybe regress a little bit. And then a slew of offensive players who have gotten off to underwhelming starts. We expect them to kind of bounce back. Uh, If I were to ask you one player that you feel like has gotten off to a a brutal start, uh, but will rebound. And then on the flip side of that, a player that has started pretty hot, but you expect to kind of come crashing back to earth a little bit. You know, let's start with the player who's gotten off to a bad start and that you expect a little bit more from. Who would that be? Carlos Santana. I I think it's a a no-brainer, all right? So, So the one thing I look at this guy, all right, he's hitting 151. Despite hitting 151, he's still getting on base at 301. Which is better than Freddie Galvis ever did, right? Um, so I mean, he's still so he's still walking. I think he's got 16 walks already this year um, in 93 plate appearances. So that's that's pretty solid. But if you if you look at him year over year over year in his career, he tends to slow start. I mean, maybe not 151. This might be a little bit slow for him, but he's a slow start guy. And then once it gets to June, July, August, that's when he turns it on and. It's it's crazy, but I mean guys do that, right? Guys just in their career, they are some guys are just slow starters and hit when the weather's warm. Um, so I'll give you his here's his career his career number uh, numbers for April career two twenty seven hitter career uh, for May it gets worse in May two eighteen. <laughs> I'm just saying in his career he's a two eighteen hitter in May. Okay, then it starts getting better. June is 240, July 274. So I mean, and and if you look, the the on base percentages go way up too. I mean, it, it's on base percentage for April is 355, for May 344, June 352, July 385, August 356, September October 388, and his slugging percentage goes up into the 450s in uh, later in the season. OPS all over 800, July, August, September, 892, 800, 864. That, he's a second-half player, always has been. And, and, and so, to me, the fact that he's not hitting right now is not a surprise. 
And if anything, this should give optimism to the to the um, fan base that the Phillies are fourteen and seven without him hitting. What's it going to be like when he actually does start hitting? Then the lineup is going really strong. So, like I look at I look at Santana and I think he's the guy that I'm not I'm just not worried about him, even though he's hitting 151 through the first seven, uh, 21 games. Yeah, I actually wrote about him on on the website last week, uh, and I talked a little bit about how he's been hitting the ball harder this season than he did a year ago. Uh, yet the batting average of balls in play is is drastically down. Right, so. His batting average in balls in play is down to 150 this season from 274 a year ago. 124-point decrease right now. Uh, Fangraph's a good site. 25-year-old me would say they went out and they signed this guy to all this money, and he sucks. He's been brutal. Uh, There's no hope. He's old. It's over. Uh, But when you kind of take a a deeper dive into the numbers, there are other things that are encouraging – beyond even just month-to-month track record. You know, as the season progresses, he gets better. And that's, I think, something that, that matters that we need to take into consideration that, that his historical month-by-month, uh, you know, numbers. But 33% hard hit last year is his line drive rate or hard hit rate up to 40.3% this year. So he's hitting the ball harder. He's just not getting on base when he puts the ball in play. And and beyond that, his walk rate's actually up from 13.2% to 17.2%. So, you know, the the walks are there. He's, he's making hard contact. He has been unlucky. And I know that fans don't want to hear that. When you go out and sign a big-time veteran hitter and you're expecting all this production, people will go, well, I don't care about his line drive rate or his hard hit percentage or any of that stuff. I want to see base hits. I want to see RBIs. I want to see the ball driven into the gaps. That's what I want to see. And people are losing their patience with him. But I'm telling you that I completely agree with you that over time – he will – I don't think he's going to hit 260 for them. I don't think he's going to hit 270 for them. But I think he's going to give them a ton of professional at-bats. I think he's going to reach base at the at the rate that he has in the past. And uh, I'm not concerned. You know, not 21 games into the season with Carlos Santana. When you just look at what he's done in his history and from a historical standpoint, I see no reason to sweat his start. So I'm in full agreement with you there. Um on the flip this, side of that, though, I mean, yeah, this is going to this is going to be interesting. I wonder where we go with this one. So, so I'm just curious, you know, if if you look at there are some guys here. You don't get seven games over 521 games without without having guys step up and maybe play a little bit above their heads, especially when you have so many guys that are off to such horrendous starts offensively. Who who would you say is the guy that you're like, yeah, all right, good start, but I don't think he's going to sustain this. So I'm going to sound like a hypocrite with this, just so you know, because I've been one of his most vocal. I've this. been one of his most vocal supporters um, up to this point. But it's got to be Nick Pavetta. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be Nick Pavetta. His, I mean, Nick Pavetta's numbers are electric right now. I mean, there he's 28 innings, 28 strikeouts, four walks, uh, allowed just the one home run. Uh, his whip is an even 1.00. He's allowing just one base runner per inning, striking out nine batters per, per nine innings. So one striking out a batter per inning. Um, I, I, you know, that's I don't know. Actually, down from last year. And yeah, shows it you is. The ceiling on this guy, right? Yeah. Where, where yeah, he's is. really made the progress is is the walks per nine. You know, 3.86 yeah. a year ago, 1.29 right now. I mean, yeah. that's where that's his walk uh, strikeout the Strike. walk ratio is seven even right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and the home run rate is is way down. Uh, I think yeah. it's like eighty percent down right now. Yeah, one point six nine to point three two. So I mean, those are things. It's wild. I mean, his his numbers have, have taken a dramatic leap uh, in the positive direction so far. 
through what? Is it five starts? I think they're five times through the rotation right now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's hard to argue that. I don't know that we can. Now, that said, <laughs> let me back him up again real quick, Bob, because there's a really nice article um, that was in the um, on Philly.com today. They got a new Phillies writer there. Uh, he's not really that new. He's he's new to the to Philly.com. Scott Lauber he used to cover the Red Sox, but he actually covered the Phillies back. Uh, I want to say about. 10, 12 years ago um, for the Wilmington News Journal, um, now at philly.com. A really, really good uh, writer, reporter. He knows how to make relationships in a locker room and, and really gets good stuff. And so he's doing a story. He did a story on Jake Arietta um, and basically how Arietta uh, is the. Uh, doesn't mind being like the leader of a young pitching staff, but also feels like he's learning a lot from the young pitching staff. And basically, Arietta told him that Nick Pavetta, he was basically Nick Pavetta at 25 when he was bought in Baltimore. And that, you know, you now know what he's going on to do. He's going on to win a Cy Young. He's going on to um, win a World Series. So, and he's he's at that point in his career where he can be that, that leader type. But it's interesting that there's a comparison to Pavetta. Um, and I sit there and say, you know, if Nick Pavetta can develop... <laughs> into, I'm not saying this year, but over the course of the next four or five years, into a Jake Arrieta, holy heck, are the Phillies in a good, in a good spot. The biggest thing watching him last year that, that I noticed, and you know, obviously electric fastball, the curveball has been has been really good this year. It's been, it's been a wipeout pitch for him. Uh, he had an inability to limit damage and limit big innings a year ago. And this year, Clearly, when you look at his numbers, he's, he's been able to do that. He just, to me, looks more mature. He looks more confident. Uh, the strike percentage is way up. He's attacking the zone. He's just been a more aggressive pitcher. And last year, I kind of almost watched, watched him and felt like he has this stuff, but he just seems afraid to, to get burnt. You know, it just looked like, he, I don't want to say he nibbled, but it just felt yeah. like he was, he was either overthrowing, overcompensating. He just didn't look like he trusted his stuff. And this year he just looks completely, he looks like a completely different pitcher. He looks like he's in command. He feels confident in, in his secondary stuff. He feels confident in his fastball. And, and the way that he's just been attacking pitcher, or I'm sorry, attacking opposing hitters. I mean, he just looks more confident to me. He looks much more aggressive and, and you really see the, the maturation process occurring with him from a year ago. Uh, we were both very high on him coming into this year. I, never in my wildest dreams that I think we were going to get this start from him. But even still, I, I do think moving forward, this is a guy that you, you can pencil into this rotation for the next handful of years. I, I think that he's proving that he has that ability. And, and he's really put together a nice start to the season here. No, he really has. And my other option that I would have gone, and I, I, this is, would have been a cheat, which is why I didn't do it. Um, as to who's going to regress, I, I would just say collectively, um, I can't imagine that the bullpen's going to keep up doing what they've been doing. I mean, you look at what, I mean, where the heck did Victor Arano come from? I mean, he, he got touched for his first hit of the season yesterday. Um, but before that, he, I mean, he had pitched like 10 perfect innings. Um, and then Garcia and Ramos, I mean, Garcia, we saw a little bit last year. So you think, okay, fine. But even, even still, I mean, he's, his whip is 0.871. I mean, he's, you know, he's not letting anybody on base, but Ramos 11.6 strikeouts per nine. Um, he's only, only his whip is 0.857 in nine in the third innings. His ERA is down at 0.96. I mean, he's like a lights out setup guy right now for them. 
And that's crazy. Like, I mean, I you, th- you kind of thought he had nice stuff before, but, you know, he struggled last year. And, like, the year before you thought, okay, maybe he could be a decent middle relief type person. Holy cow! With the way he, with the way he's pitching, and Garcia's pitching, and Arano's pitching, and now you and got Tom, Tommy Hunter Tommy Hunter's back, back yeah. and Nishek's, you know, still still to come. It's it's crazy to think that they can pitch at pitch at this level all, all right, season. So uh, let me let me throw this one out at you because I I have a theory on this and it'll segue uh, into our next topic pretty well. At what okay. point do you say? Okay. Uh, obviously, the manager was criticized heavily for how he utilized his bullpen the first week of the season, and he's clearly dialed it back. He's a little bit more conventional with his usage right now of that bullpen. Can you credit him in any way, shape, or form uh, for the performance of this bullpen, just in terms of matchups, when to use them, how to use them? Um, do you think that he deserves any credit. <laughs> this is a tough question. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here because I think we're going to have a pretty good Gabe Kapler conversation in a minute. Do you have, do you give him any credit for, for the success of this bullpen in the early going? Yes, absolutely. All right. All right. There we go. No, I'm you excited. have to, you have to because, but, but it's done with a, with an asterisk next to it. This is like Roger Maris's 60, 61 home runs. Um, you, you have to have an asterisk next to it because he couldn't keep on the path he was on the first week of the season, week and a half of the season. He, you couldn't. He, every pitcher in that bullpen would have been shot. They would have, their arms would have been falling off of them if he was keeping up that pace. They were throwing so many innings. It was crazy, and in so many, and it, not just some, not just that they were individually throwing a lot of innings, because individually they weren't. They were individ, but as a collective, they were throwing so many innings. And you ask any relief pitcher, and they'll tell you, going into a game and pitching a two thirds of an inning or an inning, you throw fifteen pitches. That's not what makes you. That's not what gets you. you know, gives you arm injuries. What gives you arm injuries is constantly warming up. Because um, you got to get loose quick, right? So you got to overthrow a little bit, and, and 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 so that's what causes them to to get hurt. Um, so that's where the concern was. And you said it; he's dialed it back. C- credit to him that he's dialed it back because that's what the that's what this team needed. They needed, you know, and it, it's helped that the starters have been able to give them length, right? I mean, it certainly had. Noel has been great. Ariad has been great. And that's Pavetta's really the one great. big difference from that first yeah. week. I mean, the first. You know, two times through the rotation, they weren't getting any length from their starters, and and now it's going in the complete opposite direction, and they're they're going deeper into games. It's just interesting to me. I mean, the great irony of this is that in the beginning of the season, it was Kapler and the bullpen. That was probably the primary concern, and now here we are. And I think that this performance and the the performance of this bullpen, I do think that the manager does deserve credit for matchups for putting them in positions to succeed. And I mean, they've been wildly successful to this point. Yeah, um, I mean, except for their left-handed relievers who have yeah, not done a good uh, job. Poor Either Hobie, one. Hobie, Milner, yeah. Poor Hobie. Hobie right, got so sent. so let's talk a little bit Hobie about Gabe Kapler because you can't get through a Phillies podcast without talking about Gabe Kapler. And my recent take on Gabe Kapler is that uh, he's still a very attractive man. I, I think anytime you have to talk <laughs> about him, you have to concede that. He's, he's smoking hot. Um, I think that he might be an egomaniac. Uh, I I kind of think I outlined that in our previous podcast. That he yes. definitely has a, a, a big ego, and that, that comes across. I think it's pretty evident in his, his pressers after the game and his work with the media. Um, 
I do also think it's quite possible that this guy is a good manager or at the very least not bad at his job. Uh, you know, here's here. Let me run through some numbers for you. Uh, one and four start um, tumultuous start to say the least 13 and three since Phillies are nine and one at home. They're four and oh in extra innings and six and one in one run games. And they have 10 come from behind wins. My position here is that you cannot win games that are close that go into extra innings if if you don't have a competent manager. And, and to me, now, we're starting to build enough of a, a look at this guy where you have to say, damn, 10 come from behind wins. They're winning all these games late, close. They're sticking to it. They're, they're, not, you know, they're not rolling over. And I always think that the team's ability to, to – to fight it off on nights that they don't have it. When you don't have your, your your starting pitcher doesn't have his best stuff or your offense isn't stringing together hits, much like the Phillies aren't right now. I mean, we are seeing that right now. And they're still finding ways to win. And I feel like that that's indicative of, of A, a quality team, but B, a team that is well-coached and, and likes playing for their manager. And to me, the primary concern at the start of the season, more so than the bullpen and all the other stuff with Gabe Kapler, was... Do the players respect him? Does he, does he have their attention? Does he have their respect? And, and to me, the way that this team's playing right now, it indicates to me that, that he does. I mean, you got guys on the top railing of every game, every night, laughing it up, chumming it up. You got J.P. Crawford scoring from first base on Cesar Hernandez's 500th career hit on Thursday night, you know, taking three bags on an RBI single or a three-run single. You got Reese Hoskins running the Philly special with first base coach Jose Flores. I mean, right now these guys look like they're having fun. They're kicking ass. They're taking names. And to me, that starts with the manager. So I know that um, I was very critical of him. I know that it's kind of been like the, the, the thing. I think you've been actually very fair with Gabe Kapler. Uh, I, I think you've been right about Gabe Kapler. But it's kind of turned into this joke that, like, I'm the Gabe Kapler guy and, and you're anti-Kapler. And I don't think that's true at all. But wh- where do you think about him at this point? I know that we aired our grievances a couple weeks ago. Where are you at on Gabe Kapler right now? Um, well, I mean, winning breeds this attitude, right? I mean, so the fact that you win – um, you know, string wins together, and of course that's going to make things more fun and, and everything else. Um, and and to the the one thing that I I've I've never had a complaint about Kapler about is that he wants to create a, a be a he wants to be a player's manager. Whether he whether we thought he was doing that at the beginning of the year with some of the decisions he was making or not was is different. But he wants to be a play. He wants to the guys to enjoy being in the clubhouse and to be around each other and and have fun together. But as soon as there's adversity, you see a different side of things. And the fact that they've had ten come from behind victories is fantastic. But once again. Who are those 10 come from behind victories against, right? And, and I say that because the Phillies are really good. One thing that they've done really well this year is really work pitchers, right? I mean, I, I think they're, they lead baseball or they're second in baseball in number of pitches seen. Um, they're either first or second. Um, there was them and the Yankees. So, um, so they're really working pitchers, and they're doing a good job of that. Well, if you're playing against bad teams, very likely bad teams don't have decent bullpens. Okay, I mean that's that's part of the reason why they're a bad team. Um, either they have bad starting pitching or bad bullpens, vice versa, or or both even. Um, so when you start playing better teams, you're going to start running into bullpens that can match up against you really well. And when that happens, we'll see just how efficient they are at coming from behind. Like getting behind is not necessarily a good thing. 
You know, they're six and one in run one run games. That's great. That's awesome. Should they have had seven one run games in the first twenty one against the opponents that they play? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But if you're getting into one run games with better teams, again, I think that better teams with better with good pitching will find a way to keep you on the losing side of that ledger. I mean, think about how many one-run games the Phillies lost last year. What, they, didn't they set some kind of record with the number of one-run games lost last year? Yeah, they were horrendous. Uh, and, it's early in the season especially, yeah. Right. So, so, that, so to me, that's, that's indicative of, you know, you're not a good enough team to win those one-run games, especially when you play teams that are a lot better than you. Okay, fine. So the Phillies have taken advantage of some teams that are not as good as they are. And that's great. That's good. That's what the Phillies should be doing. But what what's it going to be like down the road? So I, I'm going to just reserve that judgment there. I mean, there are still things. I, I love the fact that he's kind of come come around to being more conventional. And, and that's not to say that he's going hardcore conventional. I think that what he's done is he's utilized some of the information, analytical information that he has, and used it in specific spots and not used it in other spots going off of a more of a gut feel like leaving a pitcher in or going with this pitcher against that pitcher or pinch hitting. Like, and, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to kill him for pinch hitting Pedro Florimon instead of Michael Franco um, yesterday, right? I mean, I, I would have gone with Franco, but he had a gut feeling on Florimon. It didn't work. Okay, fine. So you're not, you're not going to kill the guy for something like that in that spot. Um, the one thing that I still think that he does that is silly in my mind is the shift with a runner at first base. Like it, 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 I don't know how many more times it has to happen that it hurts the team. I mean, that's at least six times this year where they've had a runner on first and they shifted uh, the other side and a ground ball to either second base or shortstop has gone through for a hit or they only were able to get the one out and not be able to turn the double play because of where the players are positioned and then run score eventually after that. So it's burning them. Once we so, get a month into this season, I, I think it's going to be – I will be – Interested to see runs prevented, you know, has this worked, you know, and I think the first four or five games of the season, it was, it was a disaster. We saw that and you can probably reference 10 times where it hasn't worked out and some recently, even as they're winning. It'll be interested to see runs saved, uh, you know, maybe versus runs allowed on these shifts as we get more data on it, you know. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm curious to see it because I've been annoyed several times, and I'm with you on this. I watch them play, and I go, Jesus Christ, you know, if they were just playing straight up, this is a routine play. But yeah. there have been times this season where it has helped. You know, I go back to the uh, series against the Rays, the Sunday afternoon game, uh, and there was a line drive, low sinking liner. Uh, I think it was Denard Span. We might have talked about this last week. And Altair is, is shallow out. Yep. Shallow yep. line drive makes a great play. It was five three at the time. Would have been a, a two run single at the very least, and it, it saves two runs. And so I, I feel like that you have to take the good with the bad. I'll be interested to see what the composite result of this is as we get deeper into the season and we have more data and, and more reference points to look at. Yeah. One, one thing I look at with this team, though, too, is they're hitting 230, right, which is, which is obviously not a strong team batting average, but they're third in the NL in runs scored per game, 5.05, and they're only behind the Atlanta Braves and the Cubs right now uh, in the National League. To me, they're – this could be luck. I don't know exactly what it is, um, but to well, me, it, 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 it's not luck, though, Bob. You know why it's not? It, and you know, I, we know RBI is not a great stat, right? But if you look at it, they've scored 106 runs 
103 have been knocked in via an RBI. Wow, that's wild. Which, which means that there's not a lot of unearned runs coming in there. So that, that tells you that guys are hitting when people are in scoring position. Right, I mean, it's usually usually it usually it ends up being kind of the other way around. Like if you have a a, a bigger gap in RBI to run scored, and it's like okay, well that they're getting a little lucky because bad defense or whatever the case might be. They're actually you know they're hitting at the right times. You know we talk about I mean look at him. You know Franco's not done anything. Michael Franco's still the same guy, but he's got 17 RBI. He's got a couple of big hits at the right time. He's not done anything else right, but a couple of hits at the right time. So, I mean, you got guys that are doing it. I mean, Kingery, we talked about how clutch he's been, but he's hitting 229, right? So he's not quite what you're you're hoping for, but he's had a few clutch hits. And I think you're getting that throughout the I mean, Aaron Altair is hitting 157. He had the game-winning hit. He had the three-run homer in Tampa, you know, the game-winning hit the, yesterday. Um, so guys are getting those hits. Nick Williams has had a, had a couple. Big hits when he when they needed them, but he's hitting two seventeen. So it's weird. It's just weird. They're they they are hitting when they need to hit, and not necessarily hitting all the time. Yeah, you know, Kyle talked about it on Crossing Broadcast this morning. He was talking about Kapler and saying that he he will do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Where you watch the game and as you're processing, you go, "Why are we doing that?" And so he referenced yesterday's game where Pavetta comes to the plate in the fifth inning. The Phillies are down two to nothing. And Kingery opens up the fifth by lining out the center field, and Andrew Knapp walks. And he comes to the plate, Pavetta does, uh, striking out in his first at bat. And Kapler says, swing away. Now, conventionally, most managers are going to have you try to bunt that runner into scoring position. And, you know, uh, Crawford, I believe, was hitting behind Pavetta yesterday. I think Pavetta was hitting eighth. And the idea there is, okay, let's, let's get a runner in a scoring position with two outs and take a crack at it. Instead, he has Pavetta swing away, and what's he end up doing? He doubles down the right field line, and then he comes in to score on a sack fly by Cesar Hernandez later in the inning. And it generates the only two runs of the game for the Phillies in the first ten innings, allows them to stay in the game before they actually pull it off. And it, it's, it's interesting because we felt, I thought, I guess I thought, having watched the, the first two weeks of the season, first week of the season, I guess, that he was not capable or that everything that he did that was unorthodox was just something that we would shake our head at. But yesterday, I mean, that's a really a potentially overlooked situation where you say, man, he didn't do what I expected him to do. And I don't really understand what he was thinking in letting Pavetta swing away there. But, damn, it worked. And it, it kind of helped the Phillies steal that game yesterday. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was right just because it worked, right? I mean, it, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we can sit here and say, oh, well, okay, it worked. All right, well, all right, maybe we got a little lucky there. Yeah, I mean, he did. He dotted the ball right down the right field line. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the thing. I mean, I don't want to – Two don't wanna... over, it's a strike two, and then he's out the next pitch, and you go, what was that? You know, right. So... I mean, if you look back, I mean, he's had a couple of instances of that when he batted – we talked about this when he bats the pitcher eighth, which was the same thing as yesterday – um, it was I forget I think it was opening day a home opener the home opener when they walked Jorge Alfaro intentionally twice to get to the pitcher and you have runners in scoring position and, and, and you know Noel makes an out each time or uh, wasn't Noel it was Pavetta it was Pavetta and Pavetta makes an out each time and so you're sitting there saying well well geez if if he would have just had it the other way around and the pitcher's not batting you're not walking Alfaro et cetera et cetera you got to get to Crawford at that point but. The, the thing of it is is that I'm not necessarily certain it's the right decision to, to do that in that instance, but it worked. So you can't – you sit there and say, oh, all right, well, we got fortunate with that one. So how would you rate him overall? I want to wrap this up. What, would, how would you, what grade would you give Gabe Kapler through his first 21 um, games with his 14-7 and seven 
I give him a B, and the reason I give him a B so far is because the, 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 you, you can't give him any credit for that first week. It was so bad, right? It was almost like he was he gets the an F for that first week. Um, this but, is why I go a little bit higher. Like I'm I'm B plus A minus, and and the yeah, reason I, I'm I, higher is because he was so god awful. I mean, everybody in baseball is making fun of this guy, saying he's completely overmatched, is totally hopeless. The Phillies screwed up. What a terrible hire. This team is totally boned. They're gonna have to suck it up for five months before they fire him and move on to somebody more competent. And the whole world is crumbling. And everyone says this guy is a total asshole. He's a total moron, and he stabilizes. And like. It's hard to do that. I, I truly think that the guy actually deserves more credit because he was so inept the first week of the season. I think it makes what they've done more impressive. And that's a, that's a fair argument that you make, but I, I still can't get past players saying what they said. I mean, and it, again, it was all sourced, but it's not like we're getting sources from Joe Schmo saying this. We're getting sourced material from really respected um, reporters and writers, right? So, like, I, you know, when I see something in Jason Stark, I mean, not Jason, uh, uh, Ken Rosenthal's story that you know, there's a you know, or when John Heyman has a a player who's saying <laughs> saying if the manager stays out of the way, we'll be fine. Um, so when you hear those things, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that they're all on board with him. I think that everything's going great because they're winning, but there's still the possibility that it can. It can go back the other way, and we'll see what happens when adversity strikes again. Because you know it's going to happen. There's going to be adversity again. It's not like they're going to run away with this thing this year. There's going to be adversity at some point, and we'll see how he handles it then. So that's why I'm not willing to go B plus A minus just yet. I'm willing to. I'm, I'm saying, you know, I, yeah, they're 14 and seven. You got to give the guy credit because they're seven games over 500, one of the better records in baseball. But let's see what happens. Let's get. Let's go another month from now. We'll talk again. Talk to me on May 23rd. I and know it sounds like I have my Gabe Kapler fat head up on the wall, and I have my my jersey on right now as we're doing the podcast, and I got my like red and blue pom poms, you know. But it, it's it's I've been encouraged, you know. I don't know what he is. I don't know if he's a good manager or not. I know it's still so early in the season. If you can't, if you were not going to crucify him after the first week, then you can't, you know, you can't crown him after twenty one games. But. I have been impressed with the bounce back, and we'll see what happens once they hit some further turbulence and, and they have some adversity, and we'll see how they respond. But the early returns have been positive, and, and I've been impressed with it to this point. So, yeah, um, you I got one more thing. Brandon Belt. You want yeah, to Brandon I got Belt? one. I got one more thing. Just want to just want to throw this out, just to wrap it up. We always like to throw in one thing from around baseball, and um, so yesterday, Brandon Belt has a twenty-one pitch at bat. And I think that they timed it. It was like a 16-minute at-bat, right? But 21 pitches fouled off 16 of the 21. I think it was 12 in a row at one point. Um, and then ultimately flies out to end, to end the at-bat after 21 pitches. And there's a, there's, there was a, an actual debate on um, terrestrial radio about this in Philadelphia, which I thought was kind of interesting. But people saying that this is part of the problem with, with baseball being too slow. Sorry, I dropped my eyes for a second. Did you give the time of the at-bat? Did you, did you say that? I think, I think that it was like 15 minutes yeah, or 16 12, minutes. 12 minutes and 45 seconds at-bat. Okay, there it goes. There it goes. 12, awesome. 12 45, yeah. Okay, so it was almost 13 minutes at-bat. Um, so the question is, is that, is, this, is that a bad thing for baseball? Or, is that, or do you look at that and say, that's pretty freaking cool that it went twice. I mean, that's that's a battle between a pitcher and a batter 
that you don't see all the time, and it's really, really cool. Yeah, you know what's actually pretty neat about it? I'm looking at the uh, like the pitch FX right now, like the chart, the stack yeah. cast stuff, and uh, out of the 21 pitches, like three pitches are out of the strike zone, clearly out of the strike zone, which he takes for balls, and then everything else is like either in the zone or right on the black of the zone, either vertically or horizontally. It's, I mean, he just kept getting pounded in the strike zone there. Uh, it, it, this is an outrageous at bat, and uh, I watched a sped up version of it today. You know, just you know, obviously I wasn't going to watch for all twelve minutes and forty five seconds of it. I, I don't understand. Like, how can you say it's bad for baseball? I, I, you know, like what? I don't, I don't get that argument. I guess like I'm the traditionalist in this sense. I know the average person is going to say it's absolutely outrageous to watch a player take twenty one pitches and stand up at the plate for for nearly thirteen minutes. That's boring. Who cares? Like, that's bad, bad television. I think it's great. You know, the quirkiness of it, uh, I think, is is awesome. I, I feel like that that's a thing that should be celebrated, advertised. I, I think it makes the game cool. You don't get that in other sports. There's a there's a start and a stop, and then that's it. And I, I think organically that just happening in the course of a sporting event is something you don't see every day. It's, it's a weird occurrence, and I think it's something that should be looked at and, and say, damn, that's, that's pretty cool, actually. And I agree with you, 100%. And, and here's my comparison, okay? So the complaint is uh, um, baseball's games are too long. They're averaging three hours and five minutes. And I think that they're down very, very slightly, but only by like a minute or a minute and a half or something. It's not even – It's not the, the changes are not making that big of a dent through, through the first month of the season. But they're averaging three hours and five minutes. Oh, so the game's too slow. So I say to you, Bob, how, how, how long is the average NFL game? Jeez, I mean, if a game starts at 1 o'clock, I usually feel like it wraps up around like 4.05. I'll say three hours and six minutes maybe. It's, lo- it's actually longer than that. It's, it's actually 3.20, okay? Wow, really? So, yeah, so an average NFL game is three hours and 20 minutes. And the reason is, the reason, the real reason that it is, is because of all the replay, all right? And how, the amount of time it takes to do replay. And that's the, that's the reason, okay? And to be, to be honest, there is less action, time of action, in football than there is in baseball. There just is because you have so much time between plays and stuff like that. So there is less time of action. But why is it more popular? Because it's a better television sport. That's the difference. You could sit there and get and just be into the. It's it. It's a great sport for football's great on television with all the replays and and everything and all the angles and the slow mo and the, and everything. Oh, that play and did you see what happened over here and that da It's great. Baseball does not translate that way on, on television. It's an, it's an okay TV sport, but it's not like football. And that's why no one complains about the length of a game for football. They only complain about the length of a game for baseball because they it just doesn't translate on television. You're in, If you're down at the stadium for that, you're pumped. That, I mean, I, I bring people in this town back to the, the Brett Myers at bat against Milwaukee in the playoffs yeah, in 08. Absolutely. I actually was, I just thought about that, and then Victorino follows with the Grand Slam, right? I mean, yeah. I mean that's, that was unbelievable. And all, all he kept doing was the same thing, fouling pitches off, fouling pitches off. It was the same thing, and that crowd was into it. And like, to me, that's what's cool if you're there. Maybe it doesn't translate on TV as much, but if you're there, it's a really cool thing. And so I have zero problem with it. I thought the Brandon Belt thing was really was really a lot of fun, and I love a great matchup between a pitcher and a batter. I, it doesn't get much better than that, even though it ended in a flyout. I mean, you, I would have rather it either ended in a hit or a strikeout. It ends in a flyout, so it's kind of like, okay, pitcher wins, but not quite. 
Yeah, it was, it was actually kind of funny listening or like <laughs> looking at like the the player responses that were on the field. Like one guy said, "That was impressive, huh?" I was really tired after that, and someone said, "Regardless of the end result, that was fun to watch, but I don't want to watch it again." You know, like one of those deals. <laughs> you know, one other thing about that, um, Belt had another bat in that game where he saw eight pitches, and then he saw nine pitches and homered uh, in a, a different bat in the fifth inning. So, I mean, Brandon Belt. Uh, he saw some pitches yesterday and uh, yeah. helped his team win the game, by the way, which is the point. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, the Giants won exactly. the game four to two. So, yeah, quirky little thing that happened. Uh, I, you know, if, if you don't like it, then, then don't watch my sport. I don't know what to tell you. That's yeah. exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, Bob, that this will pretty much wrap up our episode for the week. Uh, a lot of good stuff ahead for the Phillies with the Diamondbacks and, uh, and the Braves again. By the way, <laughs> I need more Braves in my more life. More Braves, yeah, yeah. but I mean, this time, so this time it's here. Start, they can have another nine-hit series, or, you know. <laughs> but this time it's in Philadelphia. The yeah. Braves are coming in, uh, so we got the Diamondbacks and Braves, and we'll we'll check in with you after that Brave series next week. Um, so until then, make sure you check out all of the podcasts on the Crossing Broad Network. There's the Crossing Broadcast uh, with Kyle Scott, our uh, our owner and founder of Crossing Broad, um, and Russ Joy. Um, there is Snow the Goalie, which I host with uh, with Russ. Um, and then there's the two soccer podcasts. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia with uh, Kevin Kincaid and Russ. Russ, who does everything, right, Bob? And then there's the, it, the Crossing Broad FC, um, which looks at European soccer with Russ and Phil Kaidel. So Russ does make it sure all. You, Russ does it all. <laughs> make sure you Philadelphia ch- podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> make sure you check out all of our podcasts. Uh, and when you get uh, crossed up, you can uh, make sure you subscribe, uh, give us a five-star review, and leave a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, so that's Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly. We'll talk to you next week. See you, everybody.